Before we start this special episode of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast on the Ivy Sports Podcast Network, I just want to remind everyone that this podcast and all other podcasts on the Ivy Sports Podcast feed can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all podcasts from the Ivy Network. We would also greatly appreciate if you would rate and review this network. Finally, you can follow Ivy Sports on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Facebook group has a premium membership that allows you to post without it being approved by an admin, levy fines, uh, be commissioner for the day, receive free gambling picks from my co-host of the Backdoor Cover, Alan, and much, much more. And with that, we are back with a special edition of the Team Turnbuckle podcast. We're going to spend a majority of this podcast going over the greatest wrestler ever tournament that is taking place on the IB page. Uh, We are down to the finals, uh, but we're also going to touch on a few other things in wrestling. But I am your host, Keith Fleming. Uh, and with me again for like three weeks in a row. So call me a lucky dude, Sam Howe. Sam, what's going on, buddy? I'm just living the dream. Living the dream. Uh, do you watch golf? Did you watch that PGA Championship? I did not. Um, I have been watching another sport that people erroneously call boring. I've been watching <laughs> hockey. Oh, nice. Uh, just caught my flyers getting the number one seed. Uh, in the Eastern playoffs, I would advise now is, is the playoff start playoff hockey is some of the best, uh, that sports gets. I think that actually baseball and hockey have the two most exciting playoffs. So if you're a baseball fan, hop on, no better time to join to watch hockey. So it's been a long time, right? Since they've been a one seed. Is that like all the way back to Lindros, right? When that one, the last time they were really good. No, nah, they went to the Stanley Cup in 2010. Um, the let me see the last time they were. I mean, they haven't won the Stanley Cup since the 70s, right? right? And they haven't been to the Stanley Cup since 2010. They hadn't been before that since '97. Um, but it's been a while. No uh, judgment. I'm an Atlanta fan, man. I don't. I don't judge any franchises for not. Uh, <laughs> Getting, getting to win titles. I, I've seen one in my lifetime and quite frankly feel lucky to have done that. Uh, for those who were not watching the golf, a young man named Colin Morikawi, who is, uh, I believe, 23 years of age. Uh, he is now in 29 starts, won two tournaments in the major, the PGA Championship. He broke your boy's heart because I had several guys with some really good odds, including Paul Casey at 70-1 to 1 to win. Uh, but that is golf, but it's really impressive. I think he joins, I believe, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and Roy McElroy as the youngest guys ever to win a PGA championship and have multiple wins by the age of uh, 23 years of age. So uh, good for him. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, we're going to get into the GOAT Wrestling Tournament here in a minute, but there was a couple of stories I just I wanted to go over with you before we get into it. The first is the craziness that is going on with Marty Jannetty right now. You've seen this, right? He needs help, man. Like, I, uh, yeah, I've seen that. Like, it just makes me sad, honestly. Like, Marty's been pretty open about his issues with substance abuse. And, like, if he did kill a guy, like, if this is true, like, like, yeah, it's just sad to me. Like, it, it's like he was super talented. 
And like, there's, I, I get that it sucks that he's sort of synonymous with being the, the guy who doesn't succeed. It's like the fifth beetle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally like in wrestling, if you call somebody the Genetti, like, you know, Christian or, you know, Matt Hardy, like that's sort of like, if I say the Genetti, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it, it, like, I feel bad for him in that regard, but like, I don't know, man. So just to update everyone, he, uh, I believe it was either Wednesday or Tuesday night, went on Facebook. I want to read the post, you know, word for word, because I want to make sure that uh, you just understand this. It's He said, I never told no one this, even my brother Gino, because Gino would have killed him. And I didn't want my brother gone. Hell, he'd only recently came home from Vietnam, which he spaced out in two words, which I thought was funny. Dot, dot, dot. I was 13 working at Victory Lane's bowling alley, buying weed from a fag that worked there, dot, dot. And he put his hands on me, dot, dot. He dragged me around to the back of the building, dot, dot. You already know what he was going to try to do. That was the very first time I made a man disappear, dot, dot, dot. They never found him. They should have looked in the Chattahoochee River. But Winnie, the girl in these pics, I likes you so damn much, probably my favorite, but I promised myself way back then nobody would ever hurt me again. That includes you. I love you, but you hurt me with your fucking Jamaican jealousy. You can go your own way. I don't need you. Uh, This was posted in our group pretty much immediately after it happened. And I mean, I wasn't joking, but I said, you know, he can expect a, a knock on the door from the police like within the next 24 hours. Because you just basically said you killed a dude uh, on social media. That's exactly what happened. Uh, to make matters worse, I don't know if you heard this. He called into, uh, a, I don't know if it was like a wrestling radio station uh, to share details. Uh, and he, he just didn't make it any better. He claimed the man fondled him in a car, and when he tried to get away, the man grabbed him by the hair, dragged him behind the bowling alley. He went on to say he was trying, you know, it was an attempted rape on him. He tried to pull his pants down, and when he asked how he got away, he said, "I probably don't need to say this." Which, anytime you say that, that's probably when you should not say anything more. Uh, but there was a brick layer in there. What I said on my Facebook because because I don't want to lie about nothing. What do you do when you're 13? It was right there in the moment. I don't know how else you handle it. And then he went on to say, I can't say he deserved to die, but he deserved to get his ass beat. When I was beating him in the head with a brick, I was only trying to beat his ass. I wasn't trying to kill him. He went on to say that he didn't know he killed him, even though he made it seem like in his post, he dragged him to the Chattahoochee. Uh, But he said that, you know, he saw later that the man was missing that was when he realized it. I mean, I don't think this story is over. He has already changed his story yet again. Uh, the post was deleted. The Columbus Police Department in Georgia is looking into the matter. Uh, but again, it's just really a sad story. And it just is sort of a theme, right, from these guys that wrestled in the 80s and 90s that uh, it, it – I don't even know how to kind of explain the split in it, but it seems like guys in the last decade or two are more treating it like a business. You know what I mean? Where it's a job and they take a little better care of their health. They seem to make a little better decisions. I'm sure it has to do with like concussion protocols and all that stuff. I'm not trying to knock that these guys don't get the hell beat out of each other, 
But, you know, guys from like that era, it just seems like left and right, they're either dying young or just doing crazy stuff. So actually, it's interesting that you say that. And I, I'm going to because this leads to something that I actually I think there's a pretty easy explanation for it. And I know a lot of people feel some kind of way about Eric Bischoff and I'm, he's not above criticism. But I think that the guaranteed contracts and the fact that these guys have guaranteed contracts is, I mean, I don't think you can underestimate how many lives that saved. Because when you think about before that, when, so for somebody like Marty Jannetty, or or let me, let me not use Marty Jannetty. Let me use uh, two guys that I think are pretty universally beloved. And that's Mr. Perfect and Rick Rude. And so when those guys are working, you had, I think that's, I, I heard on something to wrestle that Sid, uh, Sid's deal with the WWE, it's like $100 a show. That was the base deal. And then you got whatever the promoter decided you got paid on top of that, based on where your position on the card. So if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. And if you broke, you know, you broke your foot or you hurt your back or you hurt your neck, you couldn't take time off. You know, Paul Orndorff, have you ever seen Paul Orndorff recently? No. It's Paul Orndorff. Um, Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, man. He has, I think it's his right arm that is, oh, I think he's still alive, is severely withered. Um, he he uh, was making such good money with Hogan on top that he, yeah, he's still alive. Okay, good. Um, he was making such good money with Hogan on top that he had a uh, it was like nerve impingement or something. And the he was making so much money that he was just like legitimately was like I I can't like take time off I'm never take gonna make it up money. I'm gonna get out there right yeah and then like it, and it was so bad that he actually had like it's it's his right arm is severely weathered and uh it's actually you know strong the stronger of the arm because he's a tough old bastard. Um, he, it was a weightlifting accident. Um, the, uh, but he, you know, he was for, for permanently injured and there was a whole generation of these guys who didn't work, didn't get paid. And so they turned to drugs and they, you know, they got all messed up and, you know, I think there's a reason why there was that glut of deaths from the guys who came up in that era and that doesn't happen as much anymore. And I think it's the guaranteed contracts. I think Eric Bischoff does for all the crap he gets deserve some credit for that. Yeah. Cause we know Vince McMahon would have never, you know, voluntarily done that if it wasn't know, something he had to. Do you know who the first guaranteed contract actually was the WWE? And WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if I had to guess, I'd probably say Austin around that time now. Nope. Mark Merrill. Mark Merrow was the first. Really? Was Sable yep. included in that? I don't believe so. <laughs> but yeah, Merrow was the first guy who got a guaranteed deal in the WWF because Vince, he, he had to compete. And instead of, you know, $125 deal, you, you know, you got a downside guarantee. And I think that you thank, thankfully that happens because like, I don't want these guys dying. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite guy to follow on wrestling, both from writing and his podcast, is David Shoemaker. And, 
you know, he was made famous basically writing about wrestlers who, you know, died in his mass man column. So uh, he said actually on his podcast just a couple of weeks ago, he's very happy that, you know, it's not nearly as prevalent as it used to be. And at least some of them now are dying of actually like old age and not just, you know, the stuff that went on. But uh, two other things I want to go over before we, we get into the tournament. The Retribution Group, which they've teased for a couple of weeks. Uh, they gave the name on Monday night, which I don't know if you watched Raw, but they had a lot of, uh, you know, like lights going out. They, they uh, I don't know if they blew up or burned what you would call one of it looked like the sound or, you know, wire systems for the TV production. And then on Friday, they came out on SmackDown at the end of the episode. And I mean, it was just such a callback to the Nexus. That's, that's all I could think of. You know, that they're basically beating up the uh, NXT guys that are the fans around the ring. They had chainsaws and bats. Are you into this group at all? Uh, so are you familiar with the seven-year rule, Jim Cornette's seven-year rule? Yes, yes. Yeah, the, just for the listeners, basically the idea is anything, if it's been seven years or more, you can do it. And I'm not... I think that I have a bad WWE has a terrible track record of using current events in their storylines. And I have a bad feeling that this is, you know, going to end up being some sort of their version of Antifa. Oh God. Yeah. And I do not want Vince McMahon, like this 75 year old, like brain injured Republican, (sighs) his idea of what Antifa is. And, but that's my concern is the the like the bats and the crowbar like that was just what it reminded me of and i've heard that it's going to be dominic dijakovic oh that was what i was going to ask you who do you, do you have any idea who you think like i know there's been reports but you could get a little bit of an idea in my opinion from the voices and the sizes of the performers that came out if that is the group who do you think might be in it I don't know. I've heard Dominic Dijak- Di- Dijakovic. I have a terrible time with that name, and I've heard it a million times. I'm with um, you, dude. Ron, I have to make Ron L say it every time it, we mention him on the podcast. He is going to end up being, I think, Dominic, or uh, there. I think that you know the WWE is notorious for lopping off last names, right? You know, or, or first names. You know, Biggie Langston, Antonio mm-hmm. Cesaro, Alexander Rusev, uh, Shinsuke. Yeah. Um, the, but I, I, I think that the problem with it is that kind of thing works. Nexus worked because we knew who the guys were. Right. Nexus worked because they were made to look like a threat. This seems like it's destined for nothing because it doesn't seem like a big, you know, a big thing, a big top level. Uh, and I like, uh, Dominic, uh, Dijakovic. Uh, I think that he's a great talent. Uh, but I think that unless you're, you know, he's a big guy. I don't think that he didn't look like he was any of those guys. I just have a hard time believing that they're going to be made to look like a threat, in which case I'm just not very excited about it. What do you think? I'm I'm worried about it, to say the least. I do think that two of the guys, to me, look like Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Uh, the guy, uh, and I forgot exactly what he was saying, but I think it was, this is our house now, or this is, you know, our place or something that sounded a lot like Johnny Gargano. I saw a couple of videos on 
uh, Twitter where they, you know, showed him giving an interview and then played that tape. And it really does both sound like him. And then if you look at like the size of him, it also looks like, you know, a similar build, similar height. Uh, if you have Ciampa and Johnny Gargano in it, I'm starting to get more excited. I love that they have women in this faction. There was definitely a couple of uh, females uh, and the ones that were tearing up the ring. And this is just kind of, you know, wishful booking on my, you know, but the first thing that I thought of was how great would it be if they went kind of insider or to the, you know, the smart mark fans where, this is Paul Heyman leading this invasion in this group because we know he lost control of Raw uh, that, you know, was out in the, the papers. We know that most people uh, enjoy Paul Heyman. We know he's great on the mic. He's good at, you know, putting people over. And it would be great if it's guys like Dominic, Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, and it's kind of an NXT invasion with some of the guys that have been down there a long time and have, you know, some following with Paul Heyman basically as their mouthpiece and it's sort of revenge on Vince because, you know, it was they were definitely attacking both shows. And that's kind of the direction they're going. I doubt that's what they're, you know, doing, but I think it would be pretty cool if they did. The If they were to do something, and I actually, as I think about it, um, sort of piggyback off of your idea uh, with NXT, I think it would be cool to have, you know, but I think that the guy to have instead of Heyman would be Triple H, which okay. is to be – you know, have Triple H come out and say, you know, I'm tired of waiting. You know, I'm the one who should be taking over the company. I built NXT into the best brand of the three. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm the one who should be taking over. So I'm bringing these people up, um, you know. And, and in fact, it would be kind of cool to have some of the more recent call-ups. You know, you could even do something sort of NWO where if it is Gargano and Ciampa and Dijakovic – you can have, you know, maybe Shane Baszler join. You, there are things that you can do with it. Right. I'm actually more excited hearing about that, like with that idea, like with what you were saying about it being, you know, sort of a, but, but I, again, I worry about, you know, I think that uh, RC said it last week where he talked about that, like Vince, if Vince didn't make you, he doesn't care. It's and I think, true. yeah. And I worry that Vince see, doesn't see NXT as his thing. Where he sees it's like, oh, that's Paul's, you know, Triple H. Oh, the track record speaks for itself. I mean, I got into it with somebody the other day. With the exception of really Finn Balor, who, I mean, even look at Finn. You know, he came up, got over immediately, then went back down. The other, I guess, answer would be Kevin Owens. But, I mean, after his title run, he hasn't really been involved too much. Uh, It's like the centerpiece. But most of these guys who I actually think could be great, they, they don't even give them a look, it seems like. Well, let me say this, and, and to to be a little bit of a devil's advocate, and to to again, I think this is something that RC might agree with. I think he might like. So the point of NXT, I remember years ago there was a great like the the network. This is something that I think you'll agree with, though, is that the the network is second to none. They do a great job with promoting, and they do a great job with their their packages. And and their their promotional department with that oh, they're, like, the, they're the best in the like any business like yeah. TV production. And I but I, what I think they did one where they talked about NXT and Triple H was there with Finn Balor and he says Triple H is saying how NXT is to get people prepared for the main roster. 
And it's the, even the NXT is just a scaled down at the performance center is literally just a, like whatever, however smaller scale raw is. So you're used to the camera cues. And I think that when you compare the guys who come in and going back with NXT back to Florida championship wrestling, when it was Rollins and Ambrose and Reigns and all of these guys who came from NXT, like, when you compare these guys to a generation ago where you had people who were signed from ring of honor, London Kendrick, um, the first big triple H signing was, uh, miss was Mystico who is Sinkara who failed is what NXT does so well is they might not be making guys who are, you know, they're not, and, and we can blame the booking. We can blame the wrestlers. It's whatever you want to do, but these are guys who come in, and are able to function and succeed on a WWE stage with their, you know, the, the, the problem areas sanded off. You know, I think somebody like Kevin Owens coming from Ring of Honor would not have had the success had he not gone through NXT. And I think that's what we forget a lot of the time is that NXT, when it's developmental, is to get these guys ready, guys and girls, to be ready to go on and be able to cut a promo and to, to, to work a match and WWE style. And I think that we can say what we want, but NXT has been a resounding success in that. Oh, regard. absolutely. And we both agree, right? It's the minor leagues. It's basically, I mean, it's like triple A, double A, what you want to, you know, call it is that's why some guys can come in and immediately go to the main roster. Just like there's the occasional stud athlete that gets, you know, drafted out of high school or college and they go straight to the pros. Uh, but most of them need to go through the minor league system just to kind of fine tune to where, again, also, and I, I think it's something RC said before is not everybody's a star. Most people are bit players. You know what I mean? They they have one thing they do well, whether it be in the ring, their character, whatever. And that's kind of what they end up kind of getting into when they make the main roster. And I do believe, you know, something that RC said, and I've said it as well, is that you got to make yourself uh, in this business more than any other, because at the end of the day, if you can't get over, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to have real true success. The, the other thing that I'll say is, and I, you know, I, I'm as somebody who is plugged into wrestling Twitter. I don't want to sound like I know more than I do, but <laughs> when, when you look at, there was that leaked format sheet for who the agents are for NXT and it was, I can't remember the takeover. Um, I think it was the, the one with Adam Cole and for the, the latter match for the, um, for the North American title. Mm-hmm. And when you look at who the agents are for NXT, it's, I think, like Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Terry Taylor, and Sarah Del Rey, Sarah D'Amato. And like, those are some of like Terry Taylor's always been underrated in that regard um, in laying out matches, triple H and Sean, Sean Michaels, I think is arguably one of the best ever at that kind of thing. Triple H is hit and miss, but I think that, you know, Sarah Del Rey for a long time was one of the best female wrestlers. So I think that some of the success NXT has had is that when you have people of that ability laying out matches, like, yeah, shock, they're really good. <sighs> right. Uh, one other thing I do want to discuss because it has been a hot button topic in the last week. 
Shane McMahon returned. Uh, I know you're on Twitter. Twitter was a buzz Monday with all the rumors because it leaked that McMahon, Shane was coming back. Then there was all kinds of crazy reports going on of what he was going to be doing, but it was something edgy and it was something that not everybody agreed on, but they had given him the green light. And then there was a couple of reports I saw where it was going to be sort of a almost fight club type deal. And you had WWE Underground. Besides the terrible music and the women dancing, which I, I don't get that. Uh, what did you think about this? um i i wasn't a fan i i i have to be honest i the the wwe's ability to make me like to take things that i once really liked and make me never want to see them again is honestly (laughs) impressive at this point and like shane mcmahon is a one example of that um i thought that the whole thing i i'm not a fan of the idea that pro like that I don't like breaking kayfabe and I feel like that's what this is, which is like, we're going to like, oh, okay. So now it's something like what you're seeing is actual fighting. What you're seeing on TV is fake. And I, I just, it's the same thing. Why I don't like like Dolph Ziggler being like, Oh, I'm the best, you know, right. Uh, it's like, yeah, dude, but you lose all the time. I steal the show. It's like uh, your win-loss record, you know, scoreboard. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's sort of how I feel about the uh, – sort of how I feel about the um, – The underground. The underground thing, yeah. It's, it's just it, – it, it's – I mean, I I don't hate it. Like, it is what it is. Like, there are much worse things, but just stupid. So I, I mean, I'm worried about it. Let's put it that way for sure. But I do think that they deserve credit for at least building a storyline with it because you had this group that is really on fire. Like, honestly, I'm loving the work that MVP, Bobby Lashley, and now Shelton Benjamin, you know, the Hurt business, and they've all lost their gold in the last week. And I was concerned about this when Bobby Lashley was red hot and he fought Drew McIntyre and lost. I'm like, you know, they built him up, finally made him the Bobby Lashley that I I wish they would have. And he's going to just get dropped right back down. But that hasn't been the case. And again, this kind of put them over and, you know, made them tough. Now, this is going to have to not be just what it was this week. But if this is more just about developing into an angle or going somewhere and it's something that, say, lasts for, I don't know, a few weeks, a few months, and eventually, you know, leads to somebody finally, you know, going over, uh, you know, MVP and Lashley in that area, arena, whatever you want to call it, and building somebody up. Or if they just use it to build up those three guys as a faction because, with no fans, I am 100% convinced they need to start leaning heavy on factions because when you can't, you know, have basically a superstar, which they don't right now because, you know, Roman's gone. Um, and it's just even with no crowds, nobody's really a star because nobody's getting those kind of reactions. I think they need to lean heavily on factions, and this is at least a new one. So 
I'm going to give it a chance. And that is the one thing I will say, and not that you're one of these people, obviously, by what you just said, but I am just amazed at how quickly people who supposedly love wrestling just crap on stuff. And I'm talking about before it even happened, people were just shitting all over it. The minute they saw Shane McMahon, you know, the picture at like the nine o'clock hour or whatever, where they did the quick preview and all you saw was basically a black room uh, with Shane McMahon in there. I mean, there were so many people on Twitter going, this is going to be the stupidest thing ever. And I just always tell people like, this is wrestling. It's something we love. Give it a chance. Let it breathe. And then if it's terrible, you can crap on it. But I just, I feel like that in a lot of ways, the, you know, wrestling, especially the internet, the IWC has just got to where they just, you know, they make up their mind. It's just like politics, you know, where it's like they've made up their mind before they've seen or heard anything and nothing's going to change their mind. And it's just like, you're never really going to enjoy something thinking that way. And it just frustrates me. And I, I, I try to be open-minded with things. Um, I, I am just, as I said, like, the, I remember like when Shane McMahon came back, like, oh, oh, that pop. Man. I mean, it's crazy to think that the pop that he got when he came back. And yeah. And I mean, it's ultimately feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, I just don't want, you know, and, and the issue is, is that I don't want Shane man at like 48 or whatever he is going over younger <laughs> talent. Right. Or jumping off the top of buildings, which I, I hope his days of doing that are older. It's like, dude, you got three kids. They've, they've came to the ring with you. Now I feel really uncomfortable when you're basically trying to kill yourself. Yeah. I mean, turning cardiac red, throwing those baby punches. Oh my God. That's what was the best joke I saw on Twitter, by the way, about this is how ironic is they're going to go to a quote unquote legit fighting and it's going to be started and ran by the guy that throws the worst punches in the history of the wrestling business. <laughs> I mean, it's and, and so it could be something. The the other issue that I have, some of it is from a story, you know, and this might be nitpicky, but it's things like, okay, the and and this is more of a large scale problem that I have with WWE, which is the the whole thing of kayfabe, which is okay. In we know that the that Shane is doing this because it's a scripted television show. And they can build the rules that, to be whatever they want. What I don't know is in story, why in, in the, 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 the fictional world of the WWE is that it is a competitive, it is that it is a sport and that it is a competitive wrestling, you know, federate or federation. Why are that. they doing this basically? Yes. Basically like, why would you allow this underground? Like why would Vince McMahon allow it? Like, even a throwaway line to justify it, which is like, you know, this is unscripted chain, you know, like they used to do this where they would have like the Crockett cup where they had, you know, you got a million dollars for winning and have Shane just be like, I'm just throwing money around. Like they've signed a waiver and cause God, they love that hold harmless thing. And just be like, yeah, you know, we're down here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm some sort of justification for why Shane has set up a no rope ring in the basement and why there's a camera down there filming it well it's like the old in the old days jack tunney right Mm -hmm. i mean he wasn't really you know obviously the president of wwe but they had him on there wwf at the time for exactly what you're saying like to, to basically make things make sense because it's coming from the top you know why they were making 
this decision or, or, you know, somebody'd have to relinquish a belt, whatever. And I had not thought about that, but it is kind of crazy that there was no reasoning other than just Shane was there to do something new. And even in Shane's little monologue that he did at the beginning, he didn't really explain what it was or, or why they were doing it. And the answer, sadly, as we all know, is the ratings are in the crapper. It's really difficult to do good wrestling right now. Like it is, especially when you have a three hour show uh, and they're just basically trying to get ratings up and draw interest and that's why it's here. But that doesn't make, you know, as you said, sense from the, the story point of like WWE, you know, the television program, you know, the actual organization. So I'm 100% with you. We'll see what happens. Let's get on to something more interesting. So the IB, you know, greatest wrestler ever tournament. We're down to the finals, which I, I, I needed to text RC and I forgot to. I don't know when they're going to actually do the championship. I'm assuming Monday, um, but I will be sure to find that out and post it when I post the podcast. Both the final eight and the final four went through uh, this week. In the final eight, you had Ric Flair defeat. He was the one seed, defeat number three seed uh, Roddy Piper. Hogan, the one seed, defeated the three seed Undertaker. The number one seed, The Rock, beat, and it broke my heart. The number three seed, Brett, the Hitman Heart. And in a match that was not, like, even close, and I really thought it was going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, the one seed, defeated the number three seed HBK. Before we go through the semifinals, is there anything that stood out in, in those matchups? Uh, you know, the Hogan Undertaker, because... It was close. Yeah, and, and it's... <laughs> I... I... Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get more to Hogan, and I think that it's very interesting, uh, and, and we'll get more into this when we get to the end, uh, when, once you get into the finals, because it gets into something, but a lot of how you leave is how they remember you, mm-hmm. and I think that for The Undertaker, if Undertaker had retired after the streak, or if Undertaker, like, I, I think that some of it is the keeps coming back. And like there was a point where I didn't love his two matches with Triple H at uh, I think it was 2728. Yeah, 2728. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and but I put that more on Triple H than on the Undertaker. I thought that his they just because he Triple H had the same kind of match with um uh what's his name? Uh Brock Lesnar, where he does this like his Triple H's idea of what you know, it's spot, you know, selling by laying there. Very spot, slow, methodical. Yeah, I mean, I'd call it plotting, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, I, and I put that more on Triple H. And I think that, but, you know, had Undertaker retired, you know, before those matches even, or if he'd retired after those matches. Let's say, yeah, retired. the CM Punk match was, I thought, really good. And even the Brock match, considering he was, you know, basically didn't know where he was uh, from from pretty much the opening rip, uh, you know, it was at least memorable because it was so shocking. Yeah, that's, and I think that if he'd retired after that, if he'd even retired after he beat Bray. Right. You know, if that had been the swan song, I think that, I, I think this might have changed. I think it's that the memory of The Undertaker is this guy who keeps, you know, it's the Emmett Smith in the Cardinals jersey. It's, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky 
as a ranger you know it's these guys just like that last image of a guy is like uh you know magic johnson when he was you know his last season in 96 like you you when that's the last image it's kind of hard to you know to remember the great times when it's that painful last image do you think he's gonna be like iconic memorable long after he stopped wrestling to crowds that, you know, to, to fans that never watched him live? That's a good question. Um, I would say yes, just on the basis of the fact that Vince, he's Vince McMahon's favorite character ever. And I think that he is so respected and he was like, it's easy to forget, but there was a period where like, he wasn't that great when he was the biker taker and he came back in like Oh four and he lost some weight and he got really into striking. He had like a, like his career is like a James Brown show. There've been a lot of times where we thought he was done <laughs> and he comes back and he's great. So I think he will be, and we'll get into Hogan a little bit, but I think some of it is that it, a lot of these guys have matches like really great matches that you can go back and watch. And I think that's the other thing that'll help Undertaker is that you, there's a lot of matches of his that you'll go back and watch because he was great in them. And the network, if it, you know, is something that is long-term, which I think we can all agree it is, they're making a fortune off of it. And it's great for a wrestling fan. I mean, I tell people that when I'm bored, one of the first things I'll normally do is, okay, what match have I not seen in forever? What wrestler would I like to, you know, go through and look at their matches? And, you know, he was in what, like 24, 23 straight WrestleManias or 23 out of 24, something crazy. So if people are just going through, even if they, you know, didn't live or watch wrestling through that era and they start just watching every WrestleMania, which is something I did when I was a young child, um, he's going to continue to show up over and over again, which is also going to help him out. The, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I was a little surprised by this, that both Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels made it to the final eight. I was really shocked that the Hitman put up actually a pretty decent showing versus the rock. I mean, I thought it was going to be lopsided, like the Flair Piper, uh, and I actually thought the Austin HBK was going to be more like uh, what the rock hitman was, which again, it was not close. I mean, the rock won easily. He won by like 20 to 30 votes, but the hitman got like 25 votes. Uh, but just seeing both Sean and Brett, you know, reach the, the final eight, you know, with, with the names around them, is that because, you know, probably most of the guys in our group are around our age where, you know, as you said, I think on this podcast, nostalgia is a, you know, a powerful thing. Or is that just truly that these guys maybe don't totally get the credit that they do or like deserve? Because, I mean, I know Sean's considered one of the greatest wrestlers ever. Brett is as well, but it's normally in the ring. You know, people usually say, but about them, well, they weren't great talkers or talkers or they couldn't sell or, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they weren't profitable and I just wonder, do you think that's more, maybe they're almost getting to the point where they're a little underrated, or do you just think that that's more about the era that they were in and the age kind of of the guys in the group? I think it's a little 
combination of both. I think that, yeah, if you're a millennial, you know, you have very positive memories. Um, I actually think of Sean and Brett as kind of like uh, the uh, magic bird rivalry. Well, I like that. Where, uh, and this pains me because. Change the um, game, et cetera. Well, yeah, but also that like, that Brett is bird in this where magic is, you know, unfortunately, you know, and because I was bird, for, you know, but bird is clearly not the superior talent. You know, it, it's the magic is clearly the better one, but they're, inex- they're inextricably tied to each other. Um, I think that they're, you know, I, I think that actually the talking thing, especially for Brett is it's overblown. A- yeah, I think especially, I mean, you know, I, I think that the, I don't think he was great at delivering some of the, the promos of the era, but I think that he was fine. And I think once he became a heel, he was really good. I was going to say, that last year was, he was incredible on the mic. Yeah. And, and I think that HBK is very good. I think the argument that, oh, they didn't draw money. Well, you know, who who was drawing money in that era and i i mean there's there's a much longer discussion about that and i would even argue that hbk does you know that that he's had some of the the best in-ring work but i think that there's a bit of a combination of the age that you know for i'm 34 and so i watched you know bret hart after hulk hogan bret hart was the first wrestler who i was like oh he's my guy and I think that that's the case for a lot of people. And I think that with the internet, you know, it's not what it was in 98. I think that there's an appreciation for the in-ring work. And I also think that the network has a bit to do with it. And I think that there's been a real promotion for that. I think also for HBK, I think that it helps that his only match coming back was a tag match in Saudi Arabia that people sort of write off. I was so and, bad he wouldn't have done it, though, because I respect him so much for not coming back. Because could you imagine, like, some of the, I'm sure, like, you know, payments or, you know, checks they've offered him for a WrestleMania dream match against whoever. AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. Exactly. Another one with The Undertaker. Right. Triple, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, but it, it was a tag match. I, I've never seen the match. I don't watch the oh, Saudi shows. horrible. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's ultimately, it's not, it wasn't a WrestleMania match. I don't think it hurts his legacy. And it's sort of. I don't either. I mean, it's almost like a Globetrotter game or something, you know, an exhibition. Exactly. And he was, you know, that, and and we'll get into that when we talk about Ric Flair and sort of why I put Sean ahead of him as the best of all time. But Sean retired when Sean was still having amazing matches the you know the the when you think about sean missing those four years and thank god that happened because i think that he would be dead if oh he had for kept, sure or somebody yeah. killed him because he was such a prick oh yeah i mean mm-hmm. i i think that i mean i don't think he could have survived in the austin wwf because austin you know and we'll get into a little bit of that he would engulf him yeah, oh yeah, he would have I mean that would have been there would have been a point where he was like he's got to go. And I think that I mean he might have gone to WCW but yeah, I, I but when you think about Shawn Michaels, I mean he came back after 4 years off and then had an 8-year run of just amazing matches. Amazing matches. I completely agree. 
Um, and just so you know, what Sam was talking about at the end of the podcast, I just told him I would like to list our top eight, and it's a combination of, yes, kind of where we think, you know, they need to be within reason in the rankings, but this is our list. So obviously favoritism, what we think, and we're just going to kind of discuss that. So let's real quickly go over the final four, preview the finals, and we can get into that. So the final four should be no surprise. It was the four one seeds, and I, I did do this on purpose. I put the Flair and Hogan bracket on the same side, and that's that's one of the matchups. And then the Austin Rock on the other. Uh, you know, Austin and Flair ended up winning. Uh, I was really worried Hogan was going to beat Flair. I'm very glad he did not because I think Hogan, in the standpoint of what he's done for the business, um, you know, obviously by being really the, the biggest thing or the biggest part that led to the explosion and the success, he deserves a ton of credit for. Obviously, then he had the great heel run, but I just think A. Flair is more iconic. Uh, he's going to be remembered. I mean, he's still relevant today and not even just the world of wrestling, but just pop culture way more than Hogan is. If it wasn't for the Gawker story, I don't know if Hogan would be uh, still relevant. And then the Austin Rock, I- I'm really glad that Austin won as well because I-, I don't know if it was you or Ron L who made the point that the Rock did not have, you know, he was only a, a wrestler for, I think, a total of like seven years. Uh, yeah. And don't get me wrong, the Rock definitely deserves to be on that short list of the greatest wrestlers ever because of the impact. Uh, he was very underrated in the ring, I think. But, I mean, Austin was Hogan, but he also had that run before where he was a great wrestler and worker in WCW. Uh, and just, again, Austin's just so iconic. Do you think that we, you know, we have the right final in Austin Flair? I think we do. Um, I, you know, I know we, we, uh, that, that I am, I think that that last two year rock run that I, I, I admit that I'm incredible. I mean, I'm not a fan of it. That's the funny thing is that really, oh yeah. I I mean, RC gives me shit all the time because I, I think that I, it drew money and, but I, I think that it was, I, I have, especially the, uh, WrestleMania 29, Oh, I agree uh, there. You saw them in the second, the rematch. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that, I, that I, I have a lot of, and I thought that The Rock really mailed it in. I thought, I don't like The Rock as a face. Um, I think, though, before that, if you go, you know, looking at his 96 to 03 run, 04, um, he's pretty much done with wrestling after WrestleMania 20. Mm-hmm. is I love The Rock as a heel. I think his, you know, his when he did the, right as he was finishing up as a regular full-time performer, when he did the Hollywood Rock character. Yeah, the Sacramento thought, guitar concert, right? When in Sacramento. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I, I love that. And uh, I think he's naturally a heel. But I think that actually, one of the, the bigger disappointments to me about the Cena feud was The Rock was a really good worker and and i i think that that gets slept on but like rock was really good in the ring and he just wasn't when he came back and i think a lot of that had to do with his being you know all muscled up 
That's what um, I was going to say. He yes. got too big, and the issue is, I think he got hurt in that first match. This is the second that, one where he he got hurt the first one though too. Did he? Yeah, he tore, hmm. I believe, his uh, pectoral. He injured that because that's what they were talking about. In both of his matches against Santa, he tore something, and that's why I don't believe he's ever going to get back in a ring. Is just that. Other than what we saw, I think it what was the WrestleMania a couple of years later, where he comes in and rock bottom somebody is you know that he just I mean with the money the Rock makes uh, and and you know what studios have invested in him, I just don't see any way they allow him to you know get back into wrestling. And a lot of it, you may be right, is nostalgia, but I just really appreciate what he did for the business because it did help kind of re kick start it. Uh, to a more mainstream audience. And I think had a lot to do with it being accepted by like ESPN and, you know, I mean, almost every major publication on, you know, uh, you know, news publications and stuff, if they have a sports section, they're going to cover wrestling. And I think it's because the rock who was arguably the biggest star in Hollywood came back and, you know, gave back to wrestling basically for two years. Was it his best work? Absolutely not. I agree with you, but, I just loved it because it was exciting to have him back. Uh, and I just, I think it's really cool that he did come back because I, I, I know I didn't think he was ever going to get in the ring again. Did you like before he came back? Uh, I, no, I don't think so. And I think that, yeah, no, I, I didn't think so. Um, I, I think that some of the, I get what you're saying. Some of it. And then like, I don't want to, because I know everyone loves The Rock. I'm always the outsider in being critical of The Rock. But I think it's not, it's it's the kind of thing where it's not that I dislike him. It's that I think that it's my knee-jerk response to seeing him as being overrated by people and people not holding him to the same standards that because they like him, that they he gets away with like mailing stuff in. It's because he's cool. And, I mean, yeah, it's because he's a big movie star. I mean, I get it. And I'm not... You know, I get. No, no, no. I'm not saying you know. I'm just saying that, like that. That's basically what it. You're right, though. I mean, it's it's absolutely right that he kind of gets a pass in a lot of ways because he's the Rock. You know what I mean? Like that. That's the way it is. But there's nothing wrong with you know basically pointing that out. And, and I sometimes I feel like it's like just let people enjoy things. I think that one thing the Rock doesn't get it's sort of interesting because one of the things that used to bother me was like when he buried Billy Gunn, but at the same time, the rock was never, I mean, like he lost to hurricane Helms. At one yeah, I was going to say he put like, over he, a lot of people brought, yeah. you know, on his way out. He, he put over Goldberg. Uh, he put over a lot put of guys. Austin. Yeah. He put over, yeah. He put Foley. He put a lot of people over. So in, in, in an era where Austin really didn't, <laughs> you know, I, I don't and know. He took his Austin. ball and went home over that, you know? Well, the, you know that, oh, we can talk about that. I, I think that, but like Austin didn't, I don't think Austin lost cleanly during his run on top. I can't think of a time where he lost cleanly. Oh, no, he definitely didn't. Because all, all of his losses, there was some kind of chicanery. I And to to in terms of, I was glad that Austin won. I'm glad that Flair beat Hogan. One thing that I think, with Hogan is that I think hurts him is have you ever seen any of his stuff from new Japan? No, (laughs) he can work. That's the funny thing is that like, but people only cared about, you know, Hulk up punch, big boot, leg drop. What year was that? 
Because I, I would like to look that up when we get done with this. You know the uh, kind of the range? I know that there was a period in 93 where he went over there. So that uh, was in between WCW or when he first – or WWF um, and WCW or right when he signed with them? It was before – it was between WWF and WCW. And I think he was over there in like the early 80s. But like there were periods where he could uh, where he could work, and I think that some of why he's not remembered is is because he had these very crap matches. So there's not a lot of like a lot of it is of the time. So like he's seen as such a big deal because he took the, the WWF national. He was there, and then he was also the guy who turning heel kicked off the second boom period in '96. And I think that, you know, but it's okay, you have that history, but if it's not, like, his matches were nothing to write home about, at best. And there's the political reputation that he has of holding people back, and there's the fact that he was on tape being racist. He's a racist. That's what I said. Like, I voted for him all the way until the Final Four, uh, because even though I would prefer if he lost... (laughs) He's Hulk Hogan. I mean, he's deserved it, but I just, I can't, it's like I always tell people, I cannot look past that Gawker tape. And I mean, whether or not it was right that it came out, and that's a very fair question. It it, it did come out. And, you know, I, I almost think it's worse when people are caught saying stuff behind closed doors, because that's probably more likely what they talk like on a regular basis. Well, it's not even just that he said it. It was that his response to it, seem to be i've talked about this when you see it it happened with speaking out to where david Starr's apology and brandon stroud's apology and you see this with a lot of speaking out me too is that it seemed less like he was sorry and more like he was negotiating to retain his influence yeah and i talked about this on the podcast uh with ron l that you know you listen to guys like biggie mark henry booker t he never even apologized to the guys in the locker room. I mean, that's supposed to be like a fraternity. Those are supposed to be his brothers, and they don't even feel like he gave an acceptable apology to them, uh, which is ridiculous. And I think that's the big that's the big one for me is that like I think Hogan sees himself as the victim in all of this, and it's like, bro, <laughs> like you, yeah, and like you, like there was a chance for him to do some good and some learning. I, I agree. And I just like Hulk Hogan's piece of shit. Like I, I like I, I have a hard time not saying that. And I think that Hulk Hogan, you know, I, I assume that Ric Flair is too. Um, but at least you know Ric Flair's selfishness was more personally destructive, and it was limited. You know, the sphere of influence to who it hurt. Yeah, because Flair was, put all kinds of people over. I don't think he was nearly as concerned of, you know, keeping down other stars and, you know, that kind of deal. You know, it's it's interesting. He had that reputation for a while, and I think he lost some of his influence. Like, I think that... Oh, you but think I, it was more like when the, uh, you know, Bischoff and them got in and he, he didn't have quite the, the pull power that he did. Yeah, because I know that, like, Shane... And some of it is, is that I think that the proliferation of the IWC, you know, the, the people who the, 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 that a lot of what used to be, there used to be a much larger blurring of a much sharper delineation of, you had the people who knew pro wrestling from like the observer wrestling observer type standpoint. And then you had the people who knew wrestling as like, Oh yeah. Hulk, you know, 
And right. I think that, that as that has gotten blurrier, I think that Flair for his personal faults, you know, I th- and just from what I've seen, I think that Flair was, you know, and I think that Flair is a lot more open about his shortcomings than Hogan is. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the Austin-Flair matchup, who do you think wins the finals? I'm going to go – who do I think or who do I think should win? I can, Let's I do think both. I think it's a toss-up on who wins. I go Austin because Austin – first of all, Austin made – as just a wrestler, uh, you know, in-ring career up to 03. I'm not going to include Austin sort of embarrassing – you know, when he was commissioner and when he was going through some stuff and like, I, I don't want to be mean spirited about it, you know, not, uh, you know, not to be big headed about the range, but like, I, I think that from what I've heard, like he was having a hard time and I don't want to be mean spirited about that. But I think that there was a point where he was sort of figuring out what he wanted to do after wrestling. And I know that's the other thing. Funny how history changes at the time, I know the internet wrestling community was not a huge Steve Austin fan in like 0405. Wasn't that funny? Because I remember uh, that when I was getting out of wrestling, I, I didn't understand the hate for Austin because I'm like, you know, this guy was the shit just what, you know, seven years earlier. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, why, why do you guys hate this dude? But I think for his in-ring time, I mean – he was so good, man. And he was stunning. Like, Steve was amazing. Like in WCW, you go back and watch some of those with uh Pillman. What was it? The, was it the fabulous Hollywood Blondes? Hollywood Blondes. Yeah. And with Austin, it was always the, the, it's funny. It was that until he came to the WWF, until he was cut by WCW, the feeling always was like, this guy is going to be a huge star. This guy is going to be a huge star. And then he, he came in as the ringmaster, and people were like, well, he's fine. He'll be fine. He'll be, you know, his ceiling is high mid-card. And then he turned out to be the biggest star of arguably of all time. What a promo. You know what I mean? It, it all changed with Austin 316 means I just kicked your ass. Uh, I mean, it really did. It, it just uh, kind of exploded from there. Uh, I, I actually, I don't know who should win it. I, I think with Austin Flair, it's flip a coin. I, I We'll get into our list of the top eight ever. I think if you're doing a list of honestly the greatest wrestler ever, uh, these guys would be one, two, and I, I don't really care what order it is. Uh, who I think is going to win, and I'm really surprised because at the beginning of this, I thought Austin would win pretty easily. Flair mm-hmm. has actually got more votes round around in the group than anybody so I actually think there's a really good chance Flair wins this thing. I I think there is too. I think that for me comes down to, you know, I'm, I don't want to sound like I know and be like, oh, Austin drew more money. But I think that Austin, you know, that there was no in-ring period where you were like, oh, Steve, maybe, you know, buddy, the maybe time to hang it up. But I think that Flair, the other thing about Flair, it's interesting to me in the wrestling business is how many of these guys, like I think if you ask Steve Austin who between him and Flair, he would say Flair. That yeah. That's sort of interesting to me. And I mean, that that's something that I have noticed in all the documentaries, which are, are great stuff. I don't, I don't know if you want to call them just straight up documentaries, but some of the content that's on the WWE network is, they seem to all really revere Ric Flair. I mean, even to this day. Uh, and 
I, again, I don't know if that's nostalgia, you know what I mean? Because all those guys like us grew up watching Ric Flair. So, you know, obviously that, I'm sure that plays a role in it, but uh, let's end this thing. Cause I thought this would be interesting to do where I just texted you and told you, I wanted to put together your top eight wrestlers. And again, this is obviously your favoritism plays a part. Uh, ironically, we did not discuss this and we do have the exact same eight, correct? Uh, yes. Just a different order. Okay. So I'm going to go through my order real quick. Then you'll go through yours and then we can kind of talk about them together since it's the same guy. So I have flair at one Austin at two. I told you, you could talk me into flip flopping either one of those. I know this is going to upset a lot of people, but I have Brett the Hitman Hart three and the Macho Man four. Uh, I think that there's a case uh, for them uh, definitely being in the top 10 ever. And then at that point, it's like what I said, this is your opinion. It, it's, you know, who's your favorite. And those two guys honestly probably are my two favorite wrestlers ever. Uh, and then I have Rock and Hogan who they're not necessarily my favorite wrestlers ever. I just remember at a very young age, Hogan kind of got what first, you know, made me a wrestling fan. And The Rock in the mid-90s was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen a heel like him. I'd never seen a crowd just like, I mean, he. it's true. He had him in the palm of his hands. And then I have HBK and Jericho, which I know Jericho is probably going to piss people off. I think Jericho has a legit chance by the time his career's done, if he has another two, three-year run, to be arguably one of the top five greatest wrestlers ever. So what order were yours in? And then we'll kind of go through them. Uh, I had Austin at one, HBK at two. Um, Austin, and, and and then I had Flair at three. Though I could be persuaded to flip-flop this with a Rock at four. Um, I've been more going back and looking at the Rock's run, and his 2000 is insane, but we'll another discussion for another time. I had Randy Savage at five. I had Bret Hart at six. I had Jericho at seven, and I had Hogan at eight. And a lot of this was – it was hard for me to say that these guys were my favorites because most of my – other than Bret Hart, the people who were like my guys, like the ones who I bought merchandise for, who I like – who were the same way that like – Are you know, a Ring of Honor guys, right? Ring of Honor guys, Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, um, Bret Hart, Vader, Raven, for the most part, were the guys who, who were always my guys. But – I understand that, and Daniel Bryan. I think when all is said and done, uh, I could throw him up on. Like I would probably put him at nine. Um, when you just factor in everything that he's done overall in terms of being like going back to his like two thousand like early. He has the most days. upside without a doubt uh, for an all time ranking of a current guy left. Um, yeah, and I'm going to piss people off about AJ Styles because when I want to troll people, this is what I say is that because people do ask about AJ Styles, is AJ Styles was the best wrestler in the world because Samoa Joe hurt his back in 08, uh, CM Punk <laughs> retired in 2014, and because Daniel Bryan retired in 2016. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from AJ Styles. He is All one right. of the best wrestlers of his generation, but not above – those three guys, if they well, were Dan- Daniel can talk. And obviously Daniel had the yes, but I mean, he had one of the greatest <laughs> WrestleMania moments ever. Like it's, they're not comparable. Yeah. And again, it's not a knock AJ style. So let's talk about, 
we, we spent time obviously talking about Flair, Austin, uh, The Rock. I do want to talk about Hogan real quick, and then we'll get into the other four. With Hogan, um, like, could you argue he had the best career ever of being both a face and a heel, like at just the highest level? Uh, in terms of drawing, yes, I would. I think you could absolutely make that argument. The only person that I might might argue against is The Rock. Could okay. have done and and or Flair. The drawing, it's hard to argue that it's not The Rock in terms of drawing. Uh, I think that Hogan's issue is is that he's so much of it is of the being of the time. Like right. I, I would compare him to Citizen Kane, where <laughs> like Citizen Kane is amazing because you have to know what it led to. And I think that Hogan is amazing because of character work. And I think that like the ability to get over with the fans. I mean, that's the other thing is that he was over as a pure white meat, you know, baby face that the fans loved like six or seven years. It was, I mean, that's, I think that's the most underrated part of his run was he really did not get stale until around what was about WrestleMania eight. Cause I mean, he had that run basically from WrestleMania one, two. And I think it was probably after his win at WrestleMania seven, because obviously they ate that up. That was the pretty brilliant, you know, Sergeant Slaughter Hogan during the Iraq war. See, uh, I was going to say he actually was sort of stale by that point. Cause they had, they were going to do the original plan was for seven was to do mania at the LA Coliseum. And the numbers, the tickets weren't selling. And because the tickets weren't selling, Vince McMahon claimed, I mean, the, the, so there's two different stories. I, there's the story that the tickets weren't selling, and then there's the story that Vince McMahon claimed, which was that there were threats against Sergeant Slaughter's life, so he needed a more secure venue than the Coliseum, so he went to the Forum. And... But- but they had not sold out a big venue right since WrestleMania three because they had the two back to back at uh, Trump Tower right? or one of the Trump casinos, didn't they? Uh, yeah, that was four and five. Uh, WrestleMania six. Oh, six was, was Toronto. You're right. I'm sorry. So six did sell out. It was almost seventy thousand people. Um, you know the the LA Coliseum. Uh, no, that's a fair point. I forgot about that. That. I just, I love that storyline. And again, that's also probably my age. I was like, I don't know, nine, 10 years old uh, for that. And just, I, I love that storyline. I love the Macho Man Warrior. That's actually one of my favorite, like underrated manias. Um, but let's let's move on to the next guy. I, I love the Macho Man. I, I talked about on the last podcast with Ron L for, five, 10 minutes that I actually thought he should have beat HBK uh, in the Sweet 16 matchup, which I know very few people agree with me. But I think HBK is the greatest wrestler ever in a ring. And again, as a Bret the Hitman Hart fan, that, you know, that hurts to say. say, But but it's true. I mean, it's true. But it's like the Macho Man was no slouch by any means. Like he had a lot of great matches with a lot of different guys. He's iconic in the sense that just 
I mean, snapping to a Slim Jim. He was in movies. Uh, you know, th the fact that he got Miss Elizabeth, a, a woman manager over, which we really hadn't seen on a large scale there uh, in wrestling. He was involved in, you know, huge storylines. He, he sold, you know, very well, at least from a stance of making money. The mega powers explode. And then you could argue that he deserves a lot of credit, him and Steamboat, for really changing what was considered a great wrestling match with their match in WrestleMania three. And then not to mention another person made a point that I thought about, he was really the first high flyer, you know what I mean? That consistently went up to the top rope in almost every single match, multiple times, whether it be the, the double arm, you know, or the, the double hand. Yeah. Yeah. The ax handle, the elbow drop. And I just think the macho man is, because he's been dead, because he's not talked about, whether it's the, you know, Stephanie McMahon, whether that's a rumor or not, uh, he doesn't really get brought up in WWE, which is insane. Uh, and I just think that he's incredible. And I, I said the story on the last podcast that my dad is not a wrestling fan by any means, but SummerSlam 92 was on FS1. My dad walked by the TV, saw the Macho Man, sat down and watched the whole 20 minutes of it. And, I mean, that's kind of the appeal, you know, of the Macho Man. Uh, I, I'm a huge Macho Man fan as well um, for that. I think that he – his – the drawback for the Macho Man is he was never the guy. He was always uh, – his first run, unfortunately, was always overshadowed by Hogan. He, you know, he was, he won the title basically to, to feud with Hogan and lose to Hogan at five, which is a great feud. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but he was never the guy that Vince had full faith in, sort of like Bret Hart. And mm -hmm. he won the second title that he won was when he beat Flair. And that title was not, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember that era. Cause I feel like that was sort of the tail end of Hogan. That didn't main event mania at eight. You know, when he won. Which was insane. I, I do wonder, though, if the Warrior would have not been coming back if it wouldn't have. Because, you know, that's how that WrestleMania ended. Yeah. When the Warrior made the save. And I think that was why. I really do believe that's why Hogan said main evented was because it was a big deal. You know, the Warrior had been gone for a while at that point. But, but the, it speaks to that Savage was not – was never – Right, like always in the shadow to Hogan. And, and I think that he, you know, the – he just never had in, – in WCW, it's the same thing. Um, I think that Hogan, every title – I was trying – yeah, he never beat Hogan. I was going to say every title Ho that Savage lost, he lost to Hogan. But that's not accurate. Um, Hogan, uh, he lost to Flair in WWF. Um, but – I think in WCW, every title that he lost, he lost the. Oh, yeah, I think he did, yeah. Um, but I think that Savage is one of those guys where he is amazing at what he does. He was he was good at, I think he was gr a great, I think it was either Alan or RC who said that Savage's thing was, was that he was great at everything about pro wrestling, but he was not the greatest at any one thing. He wasn't the greatest ring worker. He wasn't the greatest talker. He wasn't the greatest drawing, but he was great at all of them. There was just somebody who was better than him at all times. And that, and that's a really fair point. But, uh, and again, this is a personal list. I, I just, I've been watching a lot of his matches lately on the network and just, 
he had an aura, you know what I mean? I loved his entrance. Uh, Ron Hill made the great point that you can't hear the high school graduation song without immediately thinking the macho man's about to come, you know, through the curtain with the goggles on and waving his fingers and stuff. Uh, we both just, had so, oh, just, no, go ahead. just one last thing about Savage. And I think that he doesn't get enough credit for this is that he was a very high level worker too mm-hmm. until 99. He hurt his knee in 99 and that was sort of the end of the road. But he that feud with Paige, if you've not oh, gone back and wow, watched some of yes. those matches, are really good. Are I told really- you, I was, you know, I was a huge WCW fan in that period. And, man, that was just – that may have been my favorite feud in WCW. Uh, I, I just loved the Macho Man, DDP. The matches were incredible and just uh, – I completely agree with Sam. If you are listening to this and you have not either watched those matches or have not watched them recently, go back and uh, definitely take a look. The Jericho is the one that I, I think everybody's probably going to give us a hard time about. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you just go first. Can you explain to them why not only does this make sense? Like I said, I think he has a legit chance to be a top five wrestler ever before it's all said and done. Yeah, you know, Jericho is a guy who I I didn't appreciate enough until his AEW run. And Jericho's a guy like The Rock, who I'm not a huge fan of his baby face. But I don't think that they're – I think he and The Rock are, uh, in the last 20 years, two of the best heels in – in the last 25 years, two of the best heels in pro wrestling. Um, the – I think that the – uh, you know, Jericho and I, <laughs> go, I mean, this is a guy going back to ECW in 96, you know, so we're, we're 24 years of Jericho being pretty consistently and he continues to reinvent himself is that he's not. And I think that's one thing that I've always appreciated. And it was one thing that I appreciated. I, it's obligatory. I got to mention CM Punk is that uh, I it punked it on a much smaller scale, but the character evolved. So Jericho you know, he started out doing, uh, you know, his pure, come on, baby, white meat, baby face. And then he evolved into, again, if really under, under represented his conspiracy victim, Jericho in 98, 97, 98, where he was, you know, in his feud with Goldberg, um, you know, he, he reinvented himself there. And then he went to the WWF at the time and was was able to get over there doing Y2J. Um, and I will say that if, if you get a chance to watch the April Raw, where he has this great match with Triple H, and the he wins the title, and State College, it's at State College, and the crowd just explodes. And he, you know, he did really well with that, and then he reinvents himself uh, as you know, the first undisputed champion. Uh, and then he leaves and he comes back and becomes the best in the world at what he does, sort of that Antoine Chigurh character. And then he, he leaves for a bit and he comes back as the wrestling troll. Uh, and then he has the list of Jericho. And now he's the champion with a little bit of the bubbly. You know, it, it, it's he's just consistently been in the thick of it been one of the most entertaining wrestlers been he, even as his ring work he, he, he's not where he was at one point he was one of the best in-ring wrestlers in the world and he was at that level for a very long time he's not at that level anymore but he's still capable of 
I don't know if he's capable of a five-star match, but he's pretty easily capable of a four-star match. And he's definitely able to put people over and get people over. You know, I, I just think that in 25 years, you can't undersell that, that he's been. I, I agree with all the points she made on Jericho. And, you know, for the people that talk about his work rate, he's, he's 50 years old. So at some point, obviously, your motor slows down. I love the way she were mentioning about him reinventing himself. I think he's sort of leaned into, I'm going to be a little fat. I'm going to be a little out of shape. Uh, and it also makes him a little bit bigger uh, in AEW with smaller guys. And, and the one other thing that just cannot be glossed over, he went over Rock and Austin in the same night when they both were the two biggest names in wrestling. And that shows how much WWE was behind him. It showed the faith Vince had in him. And it just, again, name, I mean, there's there's a very small handful uh, of guys who beat both of those guys, period, uh, once they both became, you know, around what, like 97, 98, the stars that they were, much less in the same night. So for all of those reasons, not to mention just all the catchphrases, uh, you know, whether it be the Y2J, the, the you just made the list stuff with Kevin Owens a few years ago was just great. And I'm even loving, you know, the Le Champion, a little bit of the bubbly, all that stuff. <laughs> Jericho's just, he's an all-timer, and he, he he's almost like a, a fine wine. He just keeps getting better with age. Yeah, I mean, it, if if he weren't still great, you know, I would understand, uh, uh, I would understand, but Jesus, the fact that, like, he's still doing it after 25 years is amazing. And, I mean, he was the champion for AEW. He was their first champion. They made the decision. And, I mean, he was – I don't know if he's 50 yet, but I know he's, like, at least 49 at that point that we know this guy is going to be very important and and whether or not we've gotten over. And I think he gave a ton of legitimacy to AEW by him signing. And even with the talents of some of the guys over there, like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and stuff like that, Without Chris Jericho, I don't believe AEW would have worked. No, and I think that, yeah, I think that you're right about Jericho giving it legitimacy. And I think he's also really good. He's he's the skill of really slyly putting people over as a heel. Mm-hmm. You're uh, talking about like that Jungle Boy? Like that, that was my prime example. They had a 10-minute draw, right? And I thought he made Jungle Boy look, or Perry look like a million bucks. Yeah, uh, exactly. I know it's going to hurt us to talk about him, but I, I think we need to before we get out of here. Uh, you had him two on your list. I had seven. And again, it's a joke. Uh, I've always compared HBK to Phil Mickelson for me because, or even Peyton Manning. I was a huge Tiger Woods fan, uh, you know, because he's Tiger. He's the greatest golfer I've ever seen. I'm, I'm huge into golf. And I was actually a big Tom Brady fan up until he broke my Falcons hearts. Uh, a few years ago because I just I, I really rooted for the Patriots that year as a Falcons fan when they won their first Super Bowl as a Falcons fan you you typically find yourself having to find a team to root for pretty early <laughs> in the NFL season so I kind of always hated Peyton Manning and I kind of always hated Phil Mickelson because 
they were, you know, the rival. They they were my guy's rival. And that's kind of who HBK was. And just ironically, like Phil Mickelson and like Peyton Manning, because Mickelson won the Open Championship, uh, I believe it was in 2013. That's that's a major he was never supposed to win. And that was kind of when I realized, wow, this guy's like an all-time great. And now I love Phil. I think he's hilarious. And sort of the same deal with Peyton Manning was when he came back from neck surgery and threw like, I don't even remember what the record is now. It's like 55 touchdowns. It's something ridiculous. Uh, And I know he got the Super Bowl, not from his play, but that season just proved to me Manning's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. And Sean was that way. Like I hated HBK when he retired, like hated him. And when he came back and, uh, you know, I kind of got out of wrestling not too long after that. And actually what piqued my interest to kind of first look back into wrestling and kind of just start falling again was when he retired. Uh, so I watched a lot of Sean's second run through, you know, the network, YouTube, uh, renting and buying, you know, DVDs and hell, VHS uh, tapes. And there's just no denying his greatness. And I just, I think we both said it, but I think he's the greatest wrestler in the ring ever. Uh, I think he has a very defining moment throwing, sadly, the guy we started talking the podcast about, Marty Jannetty, you know, through that barbershop window that really kickstarted his career. And I do think he's kind of an underrated talker on the mic. Sean's given some great promos. I will never forget the uh, – I don't remember the time, uh, like, uh, around the year, but when they went back to Canada right after Brett had left for WCW and Sean, you know, played the hitman's music and brought that midget out there, and the place had gone nuts. And it was just – he gave a fantastic hill promo after that. Uh, I, I, I always hearken back to his last rivalry, his last, you know, lead up to the undertaker match, the rematch. And it was just amazing work. I think it was at the Slammies where, you know, he accepted the award, I believe for match of the year and was just like, no, I need it one more time. And he became possessed and all he needed was another match against the undertaker. He came up, you know, underneath the ring I think of his match against, you know, Ric Flair, the retirement match, just the great. I'm sorry, touch-up. I love you. Yeah, I mean, it's just. And then he had actually to tie. To yeah, go ahead. Up, but to put a bow. No, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, he had a great feud with Jericho in the summer of 08. Yes. Uh, he just He's one of the best ever, right? I mean. Oh, without question. And I think that. It, he, so after being somebody who became sort of a smart mark. Um in 96 there are two if you would ask me there are two heels who i hated in like the way that you're supposed to hate a heel like i wanted somebody to come out there and beat the shit out of them uh one is the dudley boys in ecw the other is Shawn michaels as a heel in dx after the like i hated him in the like i hated him from when he beat brett at wrestlemania 12 because i was a kid yep and I and then when he turned heel in '97, I was like, "See, I was right all along." But <laughs> he lost I, his smile. <laughs> yeah, I I hated him 
I I am not proud. I mean, I was a kid, but like I when he had to retire, I was like, serves him right. But I think that he is, yeah, his the I actually it's funny the promo I thought you were going to talk about was the one from Montreal in 05 where Brett's music hit and Sean looks like he's seen a ghost and he's like I got you again Montreal when he was running working heel when he was see that was right when I got I've seen the promo but I didn't get to watch it live so it doesn't carry you know like quite the same I know exactly what you're talking about because his facial expression I wish he would have used that acting in some of the movies I've seen him in because it really did. It was like, oh shit, Brett's here. And then it was like, no, it's not him. He's just messing with you. And I think that he, you know, I, I honestly, I think I came around on him in 05. Um, it might've been 04. It might've been when he jobbed to Benoit. I was like, yeah, it might be legit. But I, yeah, I mean, if, purely i mean and and i'm hoping that we'll get to do something where we talk about some of these extended runs that guys had but his run like from when he beat from wrestlemania 12 the guy dragged great like four to five star matches in a six-month period out of uh diesel out of kevin said and sid i mean the that alone you know and and he could bump like a pinball machine. I mean, he like he, literally like a pinball. Man. That's how he broke his or really messed up his back was on that you know bump going over the rope and hit the uh, the casket. Yeah, and I mean, and and he you know he went out on top. I have a lot of you know that's one of the things where that's the thing that hurts Ric Flair to me is that mm-hmm. you never have like people talk about you can say whatever you want about that match in Saudi Arabia, but it's not like. I again wasn't a WrestleMania, wasn't a huge thing. Not a lot of people saw it. Um, he had such an impressive stretch where he was one of the best wrestlers in the world for like 15 years. With you know, I mean, 11, 11 years actually, because he was off from 98 to 02. But he, you know, and, and again, we might get into this more when we talk about Triple H, but that match that he had at SummerSlam, I remember just. I'm talking sanctioned, right? Yep. Yeah. I remember watching that with uh, my friend Doug, who I, I watched every WrestleMania from 14 to 20 with him. And then once I graduated college, we watched him again. I have a lot of great wrestling memories with him. But I remember being in his basement of his parents' house and watching that match. And I just remember open mouth shock that Shawn Michaels, I mean, keep in mind, so this is a guy who's been off for four years, comes out. And just has an amazing match. And, and it, it was, you know, I, I, I just, I can't, I, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Sean as a worker. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad that he was able to become born again and that he was able to save his life, you know, because he's just, he's, you know, and also I think that he doesn't get enough credit. His wrestling school turned out a lot. You know, that's where Daniel Bryan trained. Uh, it's where Lance Cade trained. It's where I think Brian Kendrick trained. You know, he 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 was a good teacher too. And he's doing that in NXT right now. Yeah, he's. I mean, the I I sent you via text the the format for Takeover New Orleans, but I think that part of why those matches are so good is that they you know you have a guy laying them out who's an all timer. So, is there any other? 
uh, guys you want to talk about in that that list? Like I said, we spent a good time, a bit of time on Flair, Austin, Rock, and uh, before we, you know, got into the, our list. Uh, no, but I do want to send out. Uh, I got an alert on my phone. I just wanted to send out an RIP. I think you'll join me. Oh, Kamala! Uh, I saw that. Yeah, Sugar Bear Harris died. Uh, passed away. Uh, and you know, it's just a shame. I mean, he's seventy. Which goes back to what you were saying about like at least wrestlers are dying. Right. It's old at, age, you know, yeah. or, or you know, like relatively old age. It's he was having issues. I think he had issues with diabetes. I, I feel like he had lost a leg at one point. Um What yeah. a great heel though. Yeah. I mean what a a, a I'm mean, speaking of gimmicks that you can never do today. Right. Um but uh yeah, I mean the you know he i think it was it started in lawler's territory i think that's where he might have been mid-south but he i mean uh supposedly he was just an incredibly kind person you know that that i'd heard that for years and it's just you know shame that he passed away well do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here uh, as always, I want to plug uh, the IB, All- uh, IB Sports All-Star. It's $5 a month. Pays for itself. Uh, you know, if, if you want to post whatever you want, you don't want to give. I made the, mods- the top 10, Sam, this, uh, this last week because of that. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's worth it. I got to plug the All-Star. Got to plug the brand. And I do want to also plug what Sam was mentioning. We are going to do, we, we've got to figure out exactly which one we want to do first. Cause we're like, you know, two kids at a candy store. We, you know, we did the CM Punk 2011. I think what we're going to do is runs. I actually think that you're onto something instead of focusing on a pay-per-view uh, we're going to focus on, you know, a stretch of time for a wrestler, a storyline, uh, et cetera. Uh, we've talked about a lot of them, like the Mega Powers Explode, uh, Triple H, uh, you know, burying everybody in, in the uh, WWE universe. We could we could do Shawn Michaels when he returns. There's a ton, but we're gonna we're gonna figure that out, and we are gonna start doing those soon. Uh, but I also just want to remind everyone that the Team Turnbuckle podcast uh, group is actually on Facebook. It's under Team Turnbuckle. Please come join. It's all wrestling all the time. And then the finals of Steve Austin versus Ric Flair, I believe it's going to be Monday. So if you're in the Ivy group, please be sure to vote on that. But, Sam, I really appreciate you coming uh, on here again. And I know Ron L has, has told me several times, as soon as the schedule's aligned, he, he wants to get the three of us to do this together. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks again, Sam. You have a good one. And this has been another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast on the Ivy Sports Podcast feed. Night, everybody. See you.